Good morning, church. Um, I just want to take this opportunity to introduce Steve Goods uh, to you. Some of you may know him already. Um, I know him best as uh, my boss, and my uh, he actually marriage counselled Kelly and myself. So uh, we have a pretty good connection. Actually, Lee helped with that as well. So we've got some really good advice and some insight into how to make a marriage work. Um, <laughs> Lee's shaking her head. No, it didn't. Okay. But um, Kelly and I both appreciated what they, what they contributed to our life. So um, I just want to pray for Pastor Steve and I'll hand it over to you if that's all right, Steve. Thanks. Dear Father in heaven, we just thank you for this time that we could meet together and, and uh, most importantly, we just thank you for the words that you've given to Pastor Steve. And I, I just pray that your Holy Spirit is with him as he shares those words with us um, and also that the Holy Spirit is with us in, in our hearts and that <clears throat> it's opening our hearts and in per, uh, pervading our hearts that, that we are open to listening, open to uh, a removal of distractions, open to convicting um, and open to uh, turning to you if we aren't turned to you already. And so, Lord, I just thank you for Pastor Steve. Thank you for his ministry. I thank you for his lovely wife, Lee, as well, and, and her ministry, uh, mainly into Steve's life. And, um, and just thank you for both of them and the teamwork that they have uh, working for you. So, Lord, I just pray all these things in your wonderful, blessed name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank, thanks very much, Cameron. Um, it's good to be here. Um, Sabbath day, it's a nice summer's day, and... Uh, we had, we've been looking after our grandson yesterday until about 10, it was 9 o'clock probably, Henry. Henry's a lovely little guy. Um, yeah, so next generations are coming, guys. That's what happens. Uh, it's good though. Hey, I want to talk to you a little bit about what we call the three angels' message. Now, some, we kind of use this terminology, and I, it's my version of how we understand it. Um, yeah, so... Looking at the scriptures, if you have your Bibles, you can open it to Revelation 14. We'll be looking at that in a moment. Sometimes people look at the book of Revelation and they think, hey, what's it all about? In essence, um, the book of Revelation is kind of an extension of Jesus' sermon on, or Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24, where he talked to the disciples uh, about the end of the world. And really the, the focus of it is the most important thing that's going to happen before Jesus' return is the gospel is going to go to the whole world. So that's the most important thing. And the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, we sometimes get caught up in beasts and, and other things, which are an important part of it, but the focus, the key focus in the book of Revelation is certainly Jesus Christ. But in, the, uh, in what Jesus also said was there's going to be lots of opposition um, to when the gospel is shared. So that's essentially um, a summary for me of what Revelation is about. The gospel's going to go, Jesus is going to be revealed to the world, but there's also going to be opposition. So if you want to look for a summary of um, Revelation, that's my simple summary. Um, there's obviously little things that happen in the book of Revelation. We live in a world today where it seems that political bullies and spiritual bullies are having their way. Um, in a world where so-called strong men, and whether it's in Europe or Russia or China or America, the strong men often seem to be the winners. 
people and even people who are not into religion at all are saying, is this the end of democracy as we know it? Many of us don't realise that if you study history, democracy is a fairly recent thing in terms of modern history. Um, Australia was one of the first countries to give women the vote, ladies. Only about 120 years ago, you were able to vote. Before that, you had no say. And if you had no property, and you're a man, you had no say. You didn't like to vote. Um, so democracy is fairly recent. And it appears that some people are questioning, is democracy going to continue? And when you look at our world, and um, it's not just this year, but certainly when it comes to the religious political world, it's interesting to me that um, in some ways, Revelation 13, where you have an alliance of political and religious powers, um, you get this image of a lamb that when it speaks, it speaks like a dragon. And I'm kind of interested, what, and I'm not here to talk about politics as such. Um, my brother and myself, I have three brothers, I'm the oldest. We, we, we differ a lot on politics, but we all agree that the answer to this world isn't politics. Um, I think it's pretty obvious if you look at the world we live in, the answer is not politics. Um, but kind of it's, it's kind of compelling to me how the religious world of America, the United States, and it includes lots of Adventists, I think they're kind of losing their direction when it comes to where the answer comes from. It doesn't come from a political leader. It comes from Jesus Christ. And so I want to focus on that today, hey, the answer to our world uh, in Revelation 13. Because in Revelation 13, I'm not kind of going to um, emphasise that, there's certainly lots of trouble in our world, uh, political trouble, religious trouble. And we sit in Australia, we, we feel relatively safe, but um, in many parts of the world, there is no religious freedom. You can't worship how you want to worship. Um, and so we, we kind of don't understand that from where we're sitting. Uh, but it seems that those sorts of things are slowly be or quickly being eroded. And it's kind of being fomented. Um, it's been a tough year for many people. COVID has had little impact on most of us. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have been impacted financially in Australia. There's been a separation from loved ones. We haven't been able to travel and catch up with loved ones. Um, one of my pastors, who's originally from the Philippines, has told me that in parts of the Philippines, pastors haven't been paid for months. There is no... The economy is completely crashed. And in parts of um, in South America, Brazil, where our church is really strong, the same thing has happened. And uh, a colleague of mine, Anthony Kent, has indicated that in parts of the United States... They've had to lay off pastor after pastor because tithe has collapsed. Uh, it hasn't happened in Australia, so thank you very much um, for your loyalty in that aspect. But it's not just tithe, it's about how we function as a church, which is really important. Um, I was going to say this, that in contrast to the mark of the beast, there is a group of people... And when it comes to the three angels' message, I'm going to just talk briefly. I'm going to go through it fairly quickly. I'm going to say this. Our purpose as a church is to share the good news 
And sometimes I hear people wanting to share bad news, um, all sorts of theories which have no basis in fact, but people get kind of sidetracked. And I think, hey, where is our focus going to be? Is it going to be on Jesus or is it going to be on some mad theory that kind of detracts? In actual fact, and I don't know most people here and what you talk about, but, but just recently travelling around the conference, every now and again I have someone come and talk to me about things and I think, wow, where is your focus? I'm not trying to be judgmental, but where is your focus as a Christian? Is it on Jesus or is it on all sorts of ideas about viruses and vaccines and goodness knows what else? Let's go to the Bible, Revelation 14, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 5. And I'm going to get you to read with me, if I can. Oh, I've got to go back. I've got to go back. See, what happens? I'll get James, you help me, man. Go back the other way. Can we go back, go back to the passage, Revelation 14? Uh, Verses 1 to 5. Whoa, that's small. I'm going to have to read it here. Okay. I looked and there before me was a lamb and standing on Mount Zion with him were 144,000 had his name and his father's name and we've lost it. Uh, James, I don't know what's going on. Uh, Written on their foreheads and I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was a harpist playing their harps. Must be on automated or something. Um, I'm just going to read from my Bible, actually, that'll make it a lot easier. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They were blameless. Hey, what's really important here? is that these are the people who stand in contrast to those who take on the mark of the beast. What's interesting about them is, first of all, the book of Revelation is not a literal book. I'm going to say that. It's not a literal book. It's a book of symbolism, 144,000. There are some people who worry, hey, am I part of this group of people? 144, obviously God has a, a number. Numbers are really important. Where does the number 12 occur in the Bible? Where do you come across it? Disciples? Tribes. 12 times 12, 144. The thousand is, it seems that every time there's an army of God in the Old Testament, they're numbered in thousands. So this isn't literally 144,000 where you need to number yourself off and say, am I in or out? It's a symbolic number of God's people. The other thing I want you to notice there. And it's just a brief thing. It says they are virgins. Now that that could kind of trigger something in your head. For most of us here uh, who have been married or or otherwise, um, virgins. Wow, what's what's it talking about? Obviously in the Old and New Testament, people who are committed to Jesus Christ uh, are called faithful or virgins. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you can't have had a past. because it's really obvious that Jesus can deal with our past. Um, even in, in the book, um, you know, Jesus had a woman who was brought to him who had been caught in the act of adultery. He, he actually forgives her. He doesn't condemn her. 
And so it's possible even if we've had a, a past which is not considered virtuous, and whether it's a, a physical past or a spiritual past, whatever, we can, be, we can be considered pure or clean or virgins. The other thing is they have the father's name, and I'm not sure, James, I'm going to try and flick it. Uh, the father's name and the, the lamb's name on their forehead. It's not a literal name. It's talking about who they give allegiance to. Cameron talked before about the fact that my wife Lee is here. Lee may have been married for 43 years. I don't know how that happened. Um, but it's, it's been a little while. Um, she is a very patient woman. But when we, uh, Lee's, Lee's maiden name is Dart. The, the, the Dart name means under the... No, not under the... Tell me. Say it again nice and loud. At the dictation of no man. I hope you get the symbolism of that. Uh, the, the name Dart, at the dictation of no man. Uh, they were kind of bits of warriors back in England, the Dart name. They kind of fought in battles. And I can kind of, you know, having known the Darts a little bit, I can kind of pick that up. You know, they, they are fierce people. But somehow she took the name Goods. Um, but she's not under the dictation of any man. When we, take, when we take Jesus' name, guys, it's not something that's written in our foreheads, but it's about who we give our allegiance to. It's about who we give our loyalty to. And so, hey, you can't pick a Christian out. I, I don't agree that you can pick a Christian out by just looking at them in a crowd, but you can. There's something about their character, about their integrity, about who they are that does reveal who they give their allegiance to, which is really very important. The other thing is that this same group of people are mentioned in Revelation 7 and they're pictured as being sealed with the seal of God. In the book, in the, in the New Testament, the seal of God is definitely the Holy Spirit. It's definitely the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Sabbath in a moment. But the Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit is a seal that seals us for God. It helps um, transform us to be more like Jesus, basically. It doesn't make us perfect, but it, he's on this journey with us. It seals us with the seal of the seal of God is really important, and it's really important at the end of time. I'm going to talk a little about that in a moment. But it has to do with who we give allegiance. It has to do with character. Now, the thing about, often people think about three angels. They think about three angels flapping in the air, almost like the butterflies we had before. Um, no, no, that's not what it's about at all. When you become a follower of Jesus, you're not sitting back passively um, saying, hey, I can watch my 3ABN, Hope Channel, whatever, wait for Jesus to come and everything's going to be cool. That's not what it's about at all. You actually are the angels, believe it or not, guys. Now, you haven't literally got angel wings, but you are the messengers. And it's really obvious. We, we hear the word angel and we kind of almost have this idea of, you know, these heavenly beings. But the word angel simply means messenger. John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1 verse 2 is called a messenger um, who was proclaiming the first advent of Jesus Christ. When it comes to the second advent, 
Uh, his people are the messengers. God doesn't actually use angels to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. He uses people like you and me, uh, very flawed people, but we're part of this. So, yeah, I want to make that really clear. Let's come and... Yeah, this is kind of a one artist depiction of the three angels. You might be from the 70s or 80s. This is the kind of hairdo you had back in those times. But um, I'm going to get you to read the first angel's message with me. Can we do that on the count of two? Because some of you are going to sleep and I've got 15 minutes. One, two. Then I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now, the three angels are in contrast to those forces working for Satan or working for, on the other side the, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet who have three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of their mouth. So these guys are working for the other team. And the critical thing to understand is the eternal gospel, narrowly the, 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 the kind of the arrow point of the message is the eternal gospel, the good news. That's the focus. We are there to share the good news of God's love, that Jesus Christ came and died for us to give us hope. And there have been times when we may not have focused on that enough. You know, it's Christmas time. And Christmas is a good reminder that God gives the best gifts. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus came as born as a baby in Bethlehem. And when you think about the greatness of God willing to come down as a baby. It shows you something about the character of God. And the only way you and me are going to get to heaven is because God gives us a gift that which we accept. And the gift is a really costly gift. You can't get to heaven without the gift, guys. You'll never get there without the gift. And you can never be good enough to get into heaven. You must accept the gift. There was a time when I was brought up in the church, narrowly, when as a 15, 16, I, I thought, Steve Goods, you haven't got a chance. And it was true. I didn't have a chance. But I needed to know about the gift that God wanted me to have. So it's really important. This is the focus of the three angels' message, the eternal gospel. Fear God and give him glory. It's kind of... Fear is not the way we like to think in the 21st century, but fear in the Old Testament is, is portrayed as love for God. Love enough that they want to obey God's commandments. And certainly, um, I'm going to quote now a guy called C.S. Lewis. Now, there may be some here who are old enough. Has anyone got the Narnia series at home, the children's books? Fantastic books. When the Wicked Witch takes over Narnia, there's this kind of winter comes. And when the children go through the wardrobe into the Wicked Witch's territory, um, things are bad. But they hear about the lion. And what's the lion's name? Aslan! 
Okay, Aslan is the lion. And Mr. Beaver, the children, I think it's the girls, Susan and Lucy, I don't know which one it is, they asked Mr. Beaver, is Aslan safe? And this is, this is the answer that the beaver gives. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. Now, in times of ad safe, we've got to be really careful. This could be really misunderstood. What, it, what, what C.S. Lewis is trying to get across is Jesus Christ can't be put in a little package. You know, sometimes as Southernist Christians, we want to put Jesus in a little package and make him what, how we want him to be. But he is the king of the universe. Jesus is the king of the universe and he's someone who we will worship and honour. And the children, when they actually meet Aslan, are kind of a little frightened, but they just love being in his presence. They, feel, they actually do feel safe. They know he's good. They know he's got the interests at heart. So that's really important to understand. When it comes to fear, it's not that we are trembling because God's going to hurt us, but hey, we love and respect him. We want to worship him. We want to honor him. It's really important to understand that. The hour of his judgment has come. Um, the interesting thing is, we live in a world where there sometimes is little accountability for people's actions. And if you want to get off, if you're rich enough to have a really good lawyer, you're okay. But many people in our world do not get justice. One day, there's going to be an accounting. God is going to make things right. And the good news is, God doesn't make stuff-ups. Because if you put Steve Goods in, in charge of the judgment, I'd get it wrong fairly often. Jesus said something about wheat and tares growing together. We can't tell often. We can't tell often, is all I'll say. In the same series on C.S. Lewis, this is how he describes it. Wrong will be made right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death, and when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Things are going to be different Things are going to be different when Aslan comes. When Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is Aslan in C.S. Lewis' books, steps onto the stage. Worship the Creator. One of the really interesting things in the book of Revelation, it's kind of, it's got a structure to it. And Cameron knows all about this structure. So later on, if you want to know the details, if you go and talk to Cameron, he's a bit of a Hebrew scholar and a Greek scholar. I am neither of those things. But it's got this structure where it kind of focuses on which is the most central part. And the most central part in the book of Revelation is Revelation 14. So it's saying, hey, this is a really critical chapter. But the most central part of the most central section, and remember it's not broken into chapters in the original, is actually this part, Revelation 14. And it is this. It says here, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. That is, it's kind of a focus. This is kind of the boom where the gospel's pointing to. In the end, we're all going to worship someone and something. It's calling us to worship the creator God. And the quote 
is directly out of Exodus 20.11. You can see there, it says here, he made, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and it is all of the enemy. So John the Revelator is saying, hey, worship God. Worship God. Remember his Sabbath. It's an important, critical thing. And I'm going to say something about this. The Sabbath is assigned, but how does that relate? Because when we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, when, when, we, when the Holy Spirit is working on our heart, our desire is to, to honour God. We delight to honour God, the Creator God. And it's about this eternal Sabbath, a relationship which indicates who God is, the name of God, the title of God, and also is His territory, heaven and earth. But... But, this is a big but, at the first advent, there are a group of really, really loyal Sabbath keepers. But they actually turned their back on the Holy Spirit. You can read about it in chapters like Matthew 12 where they actually, they actually confronted Jesus and said he was worked for Belzebul or he was Belzebul or whatever they say. And Jesus said, hey, these guys were in danger of committing the unpardonable sin. They were so loyal to the Sabbath that they rushed home after crucifying Jesus Christ to make sure they kept the Sabbath. Wow, how can you get it so wrong? They've just crucified the Creator in a desire to keep the Sabbath. It was all of, if you read about the controversy in the New Testament, it's often about Jesus and the Sabbath, there's this battle going on. The Creator gave us the Sabbath as a blessing. And at the end of time, I can kind of see something similar happening. If we're not careful that the Sabbath is a really important to honour God, but at the same time, unless we are open to the Holy Spirit to change what's going on inside Goodsy, Am I open? Am I tender-hearted? Is God actually having his way with me? Is it all about me? Because if it's all about me, then I'm in trouble. Let's come to the second angel's message. It's a simple, quick one. I promise you, um, I'm going to keep going here. I mean, this is kind of a, a funny-looking three angels. Let's read it on the count of two. You didn't do too good on the first one, so let's do it better this time. Are you ready? One, two. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Babylon has always been about opposition to God. It is more than one religious organization. You can be part of Babylon if you're not careful. Babylon is rebellion against God, essentially. You remember when they, the guys built the Tower of Babel? They were proving they could save themselves without the need of God. In essence, Babylon is rebelling and saying, hey, we don't need God. But it's also about arrogance. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar, looked, who was the king of Babylon, looked out over his city. What did he say? Is this not great Babylon I have built? When I hear, you know, Cameron, when I hear make America great again, all sorts of things go through my head. 
All sorts of things go through my head because I'm thinking, hey, where does this come from? It certainly doesn't come from God. Certainly from God. There's something about this, but we have to be careful because this isn't just on a, this is, comes down to an individual thing as well. It's, it's about arrogance. It's about rebellion against God. And the interesting thing is, what causes Babylon to fall? It's the wine of her adultery, which is always disobedience to God. In the Old Testament, um, breaking God's commandments. Well, these angels are fierce looking. We'll keep moving, seeing we've gone there. Uh, I, think, I think James wants me to finish. <laughs> That's okay. I'm only joking, James. When, when, when it comes to the third angel's message, um, I just want to make a few comments before I read the, the third angel's message. You know, there's this satanic trinity at work. And the third angel's message is the most hard-hitting message you'll get in the whole of the Bible. Ellen White was actually asked at one stage, is the third angel's message is about justification by faith? And I've written it in my Bible here. She said this back in 1890. The message of justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity, in truth. Justification by faith. We are saved by faith. We're made right by faith. She's saying this is really critical to understand. Now, in, in a world of spiritual bullies, spiritual bullies are still alive today, guys. And we have to be careful how we treat people ourselves. But this message was given to John. And remember, John, who wrote this, he faced pretty fierce bullying himself. The emperor Domitian, was it Domitian? Who was it? Camera? Yeah, Diomitian. I can never remember the names. He actually had John, as we understand it from history, had John placed in a vat of boiling oil. I love potato chips, but I don't want to be placed in a vat of boiling oil. And the miraculous thing is, he was apparently plunged in three times, a little bit like the Hebrew, three Hebrew friends of um, Daniel, miraculously preserved. He ends up on Patmos, and this is where he writes the book of Revelation. But as he's writing this, in his mind he would have clearly remembered that of all the other disciples, the other 12, all of them dead. His own brother was the first one, had his head chopped off by Herod. Every one of the, the apostles we understand, apart from John, died a violent death for their faith. So it's in this context where you need to understand that John's writing this as saying, okay, don't give in to the bullies, basically. Don't give in to the bullies. I remember Jesus in Matthew 10 said, don't be afraid of the one who can kill your body, but rather be afraid of the one who can take your life, your body and your soul. In other words, take away your eternal life. And so that's where I understand the third angel's message is about. It says, don't give in to bullies. Don't give in to spiritual bullies. Because in the world we live in, spiritual bullies are becoming more and more market again. And if you're struggling, does anyone here ever struggle in your faith? Yeah. This is a message of encouragement, so I want you to understand it that way. It's not, it's not a message against you. 
It's a message saying, hey, take courage. Don't give in. Don't give in. I'm going to read it. Um, I hope you don't look like these three angels, but you could, I suppose. Let's, I'm going to read it in verse 9. It says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice. Again, they all say it in a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he will too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented himself in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they'll rest from their labour for their deeds will follow them. There's a couple of things. It's really about choices. And John is saying, as he's there as a prisoner, hey, choose Jesus. Don't choose the beast power. That's going nowhere, guys. That's going nowhere. It's about the choices we make. And these choices are for keeps. We're not talking about small stuff. It's for co- the choices we make are really important. We worship the beast... There are going to be consequences. And remember, remember what it talks about in Revelation 13. There's going to be all sorts of economic, there's going to be death threats, there's going to be all this sort of stuff. And we live in a, an age where we, we are really concerned. In, in Australia, we're worried about our financial security. I'm worried about my financial security. I'm, I'm not that far off retirement. What's happening to my superannuation? We're we concerned about that. But there are bigger issues. There are bigger issues. You know, we could lose the lot. But, hey, where's that in the balance of eternity? Where's that in the balance? We could lose our lives. And that's what John's saying. Because he'd seen his 11 brothers lose their life. He's saying there's bigger issues. Worship the image of the beast. There is no rest or peace. Hey, if you want peace in the world we live in, anxiety levels in Australia are way up. If you want peace, there's only one place in the presence of Jesus Christ. There's only one place. Um, the language that John uses is directly taken from Isaiah 36. I've written it down here somewhere. I didn't put this in the Isaiah 34 verses 8 to 10 where Edom is told in almost exactly the same language, this is what's going to happen to you because you're against my people. And if you go to Edom today, um, which is in Jordan, has anyone been to Jordan, to the... Petra, is it Petra? Yeah, Cameron has. Cameron's been everywhere. But, hey, it's still not burning. It's a symbolic language and saying, hey, there's going to be destruction. There is going to be destruction. But there's no rest or peace. The mark of the beast, just as God's people have a mark, those who take on the mark of the beast, it's not a literal 6-6. Don't worry about, don't worry about getting a number stamped on your forehead. It's about the character. It's about taking on the character. It's about the it's about who we are. Uh, the mark of the beast. Hey, there'll be economic things, there'll be all sorts of things happening, but it's about who your character is. In the end, in the end, guys, there's going to be a group of people who love Jesus Christ, who are loyal to the scriptures. Hey, they, they take them seriously. They, 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 they invite the Holy Spirit into their lives. 
they know they're weak, but they just trust God. They're going to want to just love God more than anything else in the world. They're going to keep his commandments, not perfectly. There's no such thing as perfect, this side of heaven, for us. There is with God. And they're just going to look forward to Jesus' second coming with the greatest hope. And that's what we're to share with the people around us. You do it your way and the best way possible and bless you as you do it. I'm going to pray. I've gone five minutes over. Let's pray. Loving Father, we're in your presence and we thank you for your great love. Jesus Christ, you gave us the greatest gift of demonstration of your grace and your death, burial and resurrection. May we know you intimately. Holy Spirit, may we know your presence into the future and this very day in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll give you that in case you don't want it.